Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Holy Communion. Thank you for joining us for this sermon. You can find all of our sermons at holycommunion.net and our Facebook, YouTube, and podcast channels. Consider hitting like or subscribe. Consider sharing this sermon with others. It helps us to reach more people like you. We are so thankful to those who support our ministry. You can give today at holycommunion.net backslash give. There's a question about baptism that has been asked with more and more frequency in recent years. It goes like this. Do godparents have to be Christians? The prayer book, which is our governing document on questions like this, is not exactly clear. It says that every candidate must have at least one sponsor. That's prayer book for godparent. But they must have at least one sponsor who is a baptized Christian. And the prayer book also says that it is fitting to count parents among the sponsors. So I may be getting by on a technicality, but I have tended to interpret the rule broadly. Up here at Holy Communion, we have had Jews and agnostics standing as godparents up front with candidates for baptism. And I figure as long as one of the parents or godparents is baptized, God can sort out the rest. We live in an increasingly interfaith, multi-faith, and post-faith world, don't we? And before today, Christians mostly lived among other Christians. We segregated ourselves, sometimes violently. And perhaps you were brought up in a church tradition that taught exclusivism. The idea is probably the best known of the Christian opinions, though I want to stress it's not the only one. Exclusivism holds that no one outside the Christian faith can be saved. Exclusivists tend to have a very afterlife-focused vision of salvation. Christians go to heaven, everyone else goes to the other place. Some versions of Christianity even teach that you must describe to their particular brand or denomination if you hope to see the inside of the pearly gates. To be clear, this is not one of those churches. Exclusivism has never been the only Christian tradition. But someday I'd like to sit down with an exclusivist and ask this question. What do you do with the Magi? How do you account for this story in the gospel? These mystical heretics from the East that come to pay homage to Jesus, they're just one of a few moments in scripture that make me uncomfortable with exclusivist claims. What do you do with these folks who are obviously mystics, obviously on a spiritual path, who are following God's call, but outside the tribe, outside the religious institutions, outside the formal ways of doing faith? Their role is not small in the gospel. Part of how we recognize God is doing something spectacular in the ramshackle circumstances of Bethlehem is because these spiritual strangers show up. Religious outsiders help Christians recognize Christ. My mentoring priest at St. John's Lafayette Square in Washington, the Reverend Louis Leon, used to say, I am a Christian because it is in Christianity that I have seen the light shining the brightest. Those are carefully chosen words. And there's an emphasis on subjectivity. Christianity is where I have seen the light shining the brightest. 
there's also an acknowledgement that I have seen the light shining in other places. The church doesn't have a monopoly on God. The Feast of the Epiphany kicks off a season in the life of our faith, in the life of the church. The coming of the Magi marks the beginning. From now up until Ash Wednesday, as the days slowly grow longer, we're invited to look for the light. We're invited to find God in places the world doesn't teach us to look. We're invited to go and find the light shining among those the church leaves out. We're invited to go to the unexpected places beyond the palaces. Now, these magi are wise enough in the story not to return to Herod. They don't bow to the powers of the world. They aren't interested in whatever reward the tyrant might offer. They've listened to their star. They've listened to their dream. And they honored the Christ child. But notice at the end of the story, the magi aren't baptized. They don't say a prayer of conversion. That doesn't mean that they are unchanged by their encounter with Jesus. Matthew tells us that they go home by another road. And the Bible is more content with spiritual ambiguity than most modern Christians. In the Episcopal Church, we're always in the business of trying to hold together tradition and the reasonable experience of life today. And there are moments when we are very traditional, like in the questions I'm about to ask these godparents. We say ancient prayers in this church. We make ancient promises. We use old language for faith at times. And we are traditional because we continue to baptize infants and little kids. And part of what I love about this tradition is that it connects people to their roots. I've baptized babies wearing baptismal dresses that were older than anyone in the congregation. And thankfully, there's not one of those today because in all honesty, they make me nervous that I'm gonna either drop a kid or tear grandma's gown. But the symbols matter. They matter, and they matter across generations, don't they? And church is one of the few places left where people of different generations are regularly invited to share space. While the other social spaces of our world are getting more diverse in terms of religion and race and sexuality, there's one way our world is getting more segregated, by age. Retirees might see kids and grandkids sometimes, but they're expected mostly to hang out with other older folks in our society. And now that I'm a parent in my 40s, I can say I only see people in their 20s at church usually. And I get it. We come with a little person, and kids are messy and noisy, I know. I live with probably the messiest, noisiest one here. He's over in Children's Chapel at the moment. But when he's in the space, he's definitely a PK, a priest kid. He thinks he owns the place. And I know that church may be the only place some of you consent to spend time with toddlers. I know that the playground over here is in the way. The toys are a trip hazard. And my kid, at least, interrupts the service regularly. Today, we're baptizing two more kiddos into the life of the church. And frankly, I'm just so glad you all are here to take part. Because I believe children in a congregation offer us an important spiritual invitation. Like many invitations in the spiritual life, it may be a somewhat annoying invitation. 
The annoying spiritual invitations are often the most important ones. As much as you can today, I invite you to look for the inward and spiritual grace in the sacrament. If a kid is screaming her head off, or if the priest drops a candle, or whatever goes wrong, ignore the outward signs as much as you can. Don't ignore them, but let them point you to the inward and spiritual grace. The two we will baptize today are just at the start of a journey. In a few moments, as a congregation together, we will promise to companion them. We will promise to walk together, to tell the stories of Jesus, point to the stars, and help these kids glimpse the truth of the love of God, just as we have caught glimpses with the help of others. The work of companioning and pointing to the light is sacred work. All of us need people, sometimes people beyond our immediate families, to name and to nurture the good, the true, and the beautiful in us. We need community willing to name what is holy in our lives. And sometimes we need the strangest people to show us the light in ourselves. We need folks to help us see the light out there in the world, too. In the season of seeking, following, and wonder, how will you companion others searching for light? How will you allow yourself to be companioned? What a gift it is to be asked to be a godparent, or to be invited to stand as a congregation with a family who's brought a child for baptism. And the spiritual teacher Ram Das once said, in the end, we are all just walking each other home. It's a gift to share the journey for one Epiphany Sunday, or for a season, or for a lifetime. This Epiphany, can we be a church ready to welcome the spiritual stranger, ready to welcome Magi? And can we allow those who don't share our faith to open our hearts to deeper truth? Will you seek and serve the light of God wherever it may lead you? you may be surprised where you find mentors in the life of faith. Amen.